casual and friendly when you don't just launch into a monologue when you start the podcast, doesn't it? I like it. I'm Catherine Urbino. Um, I'm one of your hosts for the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast and a senior editor at Above the Law. Today, I am joined by Chris Williams, also of Above the Law. Welcome to the... Or hi, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> see, We're that's not the joined- thing about having a script. You see, it's much easier yeah. to just, you know... <laughs> to just read it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are not joined by Joe uh, Patrice, our normal compatriot on the podcast. Uh, he is at some legal tech conference, so I'm sure he is busy thinking deep thoughts about chat GPT. <laughs> mm. Are you in control of the soundboard this week? Oh, no. <laughs> there will be no soundboarding this week. Okay, um, cool, it cool, was. Cool, cool. It is just one of those things we'll have to learn to live without. We'll have to do the sort of old, older-fashioned, uh, less high-tech version, But um, which is a great segue. Uh, we can start with our small talk. Small no talk. sound effect. No sound effect for, oh, for any it. of that. <laughs> yeah. But um, small talk. So how, how was your weekend, Chris? Oh, it was dangerous. I found a place that's selling uh, delicious Mai Tais for like five fifty a pop. And I found two La Crusade uh, Dutch ovens for like $66. That's very um, impressive. And these are not, these are not used. These are not secondhand. These are like retail, dead stock, La Crusade, whatever. I'm not, I'm not French, but I know a good deal when I see one. <laughs> um, so I'm buying them shits ASAP. Just to boil water in, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, I I will tell you, I have baked a fair amount of uh, bread in my Le Creuset, um, mm-hmm. and it comes out my smaller one. It comes out it's like a perfect mm-hmm. little little size for for a nice little, you know, country loaf sort of situation. Oh no! Let me clarify. These were them them deep dish ones. Oh, like those are full, nice. <laughs> full size Dutch oven, sixty six dollars. That's very impressive. Um, yeah, so, they're very so heavy, like, though. So <laughs> it better be. But no, like I mean, like it could. This could either feel like a small, a, a small family of four, or a Chris for Thanksgiving. Like I'm very proud go. of this. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of this. Um, Did you watch any of the sporting event? I mean, there was there's a pretty famous sporting event this weekend. Did you catch any of the Super Bowl? I don't know what you're talking about, but Rihanna's pregnant. <laughs> Rihanna <Again>. is pregnant. <laughs> Yo, somebody said, <laughs> somebody said he really put the ASAP and ASAP Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I, like, I did. did. I did see that. You know, it's oh funny God. as I also saw that, um, you know, as of like January, she was uh, giving interviews like, we'd like to get pregnant again right away. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, mm. slash Already was pregnant at that point. She was planting the seeds early so that people would be aware that this was about to be a pretty big reveal. But it was the first time that a pregnant yeah. person appeared on the halftime show of the Super Bowl. That was pretty nice. I mean, she also wasn't the only one planting seeds early. Let's not forget. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, had to, had to. Okay. Easy, easy layup. But yeah, how about you? Uh, I did. I I watched the Super Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. There were there was several debates about what a catch means in the NFL. 
but depends on the definition of what is is it depends on which refs are doing it i think (laughs) uh but there were there were some controversial calls at the end nothing too crazy but uh you know congratulations to kansas city they wound up pulling it out in the most anticlimactic close game that i can remember (laughs) (laughs) Did you enjoy the game, though? It was fun. You know, my brother-in-law is an Eagles fan. So by default, I think my my nieces kind of root for the Eagles, despite the fact that um, my family is from New York. So it's a little Mm -hmm. bit painful um, in that respect. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't want my family to be unhappy. But, you know, it all kind of Mm -hmm. works out at the end. (laughs) I'm so shocked. I didn't see any pictures of the Ritz-Carlton being destroyed like last time. I kind of feel ashamed of my 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 philly brethren you gotta do better you know? <laughs> well there was there was a lot of um alien talk that might have uh clouded some of the normal super bowl coverage <laughs> that makes sense even the extraterrestrials wanted the equals to win you know, you know uh, they were they were at least i mean listen news dumping in the middle of the super bowl the fact that we have unidentified <laughs> flying objects mm-hmm. that have no known propulsion system uh <laughs> was certainly one way to, not not what i thought was going to happen All right, so that was small talk. Small talk. So, Chris, you wrote a bunch uh, about the ABA this week. What's the what's the hot goss from from the American Bar Association? Yeah, so they uh, the the American Bar Association started off very controversial. Uh, They decided (laughs) that uh, courtrooms shouldn't have. How how should I word this? I don't offend anybody. Loser memorabilia. Um, they decided <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that Confederate flags probably shouldn't be in uh, courtrooms for fear that they are like prejudicial to the jury, which I get because uh, it's the flag of one a foreign country, the Confederate States of America. You know, then they like leave the states at one point, like they're a whole another governing body. It right? does seem it does seem particularly confusing, right, to have a different um, to have <laughs> to have secessionists <laughs> represented yeah. in our courtrooms. <laughs> yeah. Like you lost, you lost. Put it away. Yeah. You lost. Like I'm like I'm surprised. Uh, there were no I got so I got a bunch of angry emails about it. I'm surprised there were no emails saying like we should have union jacks too. It's like <laughs> you're, you're, you're on the wrong side of history. It's okay. Um, um, first of all, not surprised that you got um some heat mail for it. Mm-hmm. Um there are some awful people in mm-hmm. this world, uh, in this country. <laughs> but so but, yeah, but the ABA huh? the ABA made this proclamation, but it's not like they can unilaterally pull the flags out of courtrooms. What sort of what impact does the ABA statement even have? Right. Um, so I guess it's more of a this is like the super ego of the legal profession speaking. It's like hey, <laughs> <laughs> you can do what you want, but you know, if you want to, you know, keep up appearances, you probably shouldn't have, you know, Confederate Army flags up in the court of law, especially if there's like a lynching case or something. Um sure. which was the case with say, um and I and I walk through instances where that could be a problem where like say uh, Ahmaud Arbery it was lynched in Georgia, mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the formerly Confederate states. Like if they had flags up during that time, during that trial, like that would be obviously an issue. Like especially when they're the defense for the lynchers, they were looking for um, they they described it as Bubba types. <laughs> like uh, there was a point where there were 15, 15 out of the sixteen prospective jury members were white. The judge was like, "Yeah, this is probably prejudicial." <laughs> and the defense counsel said this might not be fair 
we need to have more country bumpkin types. Country bumpkin types was not the word that they used, but I can imagine <laughs> I can imagine the scenario given that happened or so it was like, oh, this isn't fair. We might need to have some Confederate memorabilia. Like maybe there should be like a nice decorative noose in the corner. You know, like the things that generally go with, you know, the good old boys who were mad that um the South didn't rise to the occasion. But yeah, yeah there were, there it, it were, is hmm. wild, though, that we do still have Confederate flags in courtrooms in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, as you point out, they are very much the losers mm-hmm. of the Civil War. But, you know, here and, we and are. The thing, that, the thing that gets me is people are like, oh, no, it's not about the it's not about. It's not about racism. It's not about. It's not uh, not about racism. <laughs> but no. But here's here's my thing. Here's my thing. It's like they are like no. It's not about racism. It's about history and tradition. And my thing is, the Confederacy was only a thing for four years. Like if you want to talk about like something that is Southern that has a long history and tradition, what about uh, sweet tea? Like sweet tea has been around <laughs> and is let's more get inherently rid of the flags Southern. and let's yeah. serve sweet tea in court. I think yes. I, I can make that work. I, I think that'd be fine. <laughs> and and much like the Confederate flags, the sweet tea also about slavery, because you have to remember at the time, sugar was a cash crop to be able to afford to just dump that much sugar. And tea was a flex. And guess who was able to afford to put that much sugar? <laughs> lots, lots of people who owned people. People yeah, owning yeah. people. People owning people. Yeah. That's who. <laughs> and I'm also suspicious of that. And I'm also just generally suspicious of like Southern hospitality, because I'm thinking to myself like, you know, like the people that would have had to have been hospitable or say so would have been beaten? <laughs> Slaves. <laughs> right? Like so there are so many Southern traditions that are rooted in slavery. So to just say, oh, this is about tradition or this is about mm-hmm. heritage, it bypasses the point. Like, even if it is, that that heritage is inherently colored by owning other people and like even it doesn't have to be the case like everybody owned slaves enough of them did and then it's like okay what about the black people that own slaves sure minority there are black conservatives like things like that happen but you know like okay that was a bad point but you get my point like there are the minority (laughs) people Um, very very much so very much so (laughs) and it it doesn't seem it doesn't seem wild that they would um come up and out and say you know let's let's get rid of let's get rid of this flag flying over the courtroom currently right in the year of our mm-hmm. lord 2023 but that's not the only sort of um it's not even our country's flag it's not it's not <laughs> but my guess is also um that union states did not do not have there are not places that were part of the union that, that currently have that flag flying so that's probably part of it too i don't know after the uptick i saw on like <laughs> clan members <laughs> like there may be <laughs> There are there are some Confederate. That's, that's another thing about the Confederate flag. You still see them at Klan rallies. <laughs> like they're out here. Sure, um, sure. In I, the northern states, what I'm saying, you know. <laughs> but I, I would still think that they're probably not in the courtrooms there, right? Yeah. Like I think yeah. that there is a a mm. of course. Uh, you listen, we also have lots of of migration in the country, right? There are plenty of people who bring stuff up to the north and and vice versa, but. But mm-hmm. I would think, I would certainly hope, I don't know if there was any sort of a list that the ABA compiled of places where there were um, Confederate flags, but my guess is that they are predominantly in Southern states. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, like, Northerners have the decency to keep their Confederate flags in their homes and, you know, in like the... Right. the Behind closed room. doors. Yeah. <laughs> where it's supposed to be. It's the polite kind of racism, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that wasn't the only uh, sort of bold take that the ABA had out of their their most recent meeting, I think that you also wrote about their take on the Supreme Court. 
Yeah. So apparently they think that the highest court of our nation should also be subject to rules, which is wild, which is apparently (laughs) controversial. You know, Um, (laughs) it's like, oh, my God, like. I'm just imagining if any if any other branch was like eh, the president was like eh, nah, I don't need to actually no Trump but no but like there's a general understanding that like part of what it means to be in a to live in the rule of law is that everyone is subject to some form of you know yeah but, agreed but, upon but, ethics and of course this isn't like a le- like it's not like a legal thing like the a, a court like a you know code of ethics is not the same as them not being accountable to any laws whatsoever. But there's a general mm-hmm. understanding, like all the other branches do, all the other like smaller courts do this. I mean, and not say smaller courts, like, you know, mom and pop courts, but just every other one that isn't. Yeah, Supreme every court, other, you know? listen, and what Chris is talking about is that um, there is a federal code of ethics for the federal judiciary. However, the Supreme Court is not bound by that code of ethics. Um, and in fact, has had a ton of ethics controversies over the last, I mean, for the history of the court, but in particular mm-hmm. in the last five or so years, it's really sort of heated up, particularly with the antics, I think is the word I'm going to I'm going to settle on <laughs> of um, Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. She's an attorney and actually does a ton of advocacy work um, for right wing politics and has been active in a lot of ca- a lot of uh political causes that wind up before the Supreme Court. Notably, um, she also, I I think I've called her the Forrest Gump of uh, January 6th because (laughs) she, and every version of some story of what happened post January 6th or post 2020 election, more accurately, she was emailing legislators. She was telling people to hold the faith. Uh, She was kind of all over, all over the the effort to reinstate um, Donald Trump in uh, back into the presidency and, uh, you know, unsuccessfully, fortunately. But um, despite that, you know, Clarence Thomas still ruled on cases related to the January 6th Congressional Committee and shows no signs of stopping. Um, That was just kind of the most blatant example that's gotten a ton of attention. But there are certainly ethics dilemmas that are not being addressed here. I just imagine some point in history where, like, there's a... um a powerful spouses edition of historical (laughs) figures in American politics. And it's going to be like Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and Clarence Thomas and Guinea Thomas next to each other. (laughs) Like the, I mean, there's you there's know. a pretty good argument that uh, we should. I'm I'm hopeful that we're still discussing it, you know, uh, and that this mm-hmm. is the sort of thing where still gets our ire up uh, in years to come. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at calidusai.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went 
to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. Okay, I think our other big set of stories this past week have to do with big law. There is, you know, we kind of, I think every, what is it, every other week, basically, we wind up with some version of big law cost cutting as a major story. The most recent one comes from us from Perkins Coie, top 50 law firm, according to the AmLaw 100 rankings by revenue. And they have announced that they are going to change the hours requirement. They're increasing the number of billable hours that associates have to bill in order to be eligible for their full bonus. So I think it's an additional 50 hours, which, listen, 50 hours is not a ton of hours, um, but that, you know, that it will be client billable work um, because the number of sort of other other hours doesn't increase with that with that bump. But I think the thing that is really, uh, at least according to the tipsters that we have gotten a hold of, um, that really irritates people is that the the year that counts for your bonus bonus starts in October. So we're almost five months, nearly half the year done when they've decided that they're increasing that number of hours. So that's obviously supercharges the increased onus on associates because they have less than half, you know, they don't have the full year to make up that 50 hours. I think in, in some of the meetings, the firm was like, well, you know, it's only like, it's less than an hour a week additional. It's like, sure, if you had told us in in, in the beginning of the year, Right. In October, when this is when this the year starts running from, maybe that would be true. But halfway through February, that's not true anymore. <laughs> and if associates fail to hit the new target, but do hit the old target, they will get 50 percent of their bonus. That, that does that does strike me as a pretty steep decrease. They can the first heavy 50 hours. Yeah, exactly. They can say like, "Oh, it's only fifty hours. Why is this a big deal?" It's like, "Well, you you think it's worth you think it's worth fifty percent of my bonus." Mm. That sort of I think indicates what a big deal the firm is taking it as. <laughs> we need the ABA to tell us what they think about this. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> let them let them weigh it. I mean, listen, you know, bonuses are fundamentally discretionary, and I suppose it's better telling folks now than at the end of the year. That is certainly something we had seen at the end of 2022, uh, <laughs> where firms were changing their requirements, you know, at the end of the year. But but it's it's not great and. I think that we we heard a tremendous amount from folks inside the firm. One of my favorite quotes was that every associate is livid, <laughs> <laughs> which I was like, you know, fair. You know, you're me- you're messing with someone's money. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. One thing I wonder is uh, how much, like, outside of the the initial shock of boohoo, angry face changes, like how much this will actually change in the long run? Because like I I know that like just the from what I gather from law from culture, like even if it's like the expectation is 2000 hours or so people, there were so many people that would still like work over it just because they want to like, you know, maintain appearances and not do the bare minimum, you know? Sure. And I mean, I think that I don't think that a requirement like this is going to change folks who go, who are going to go over, but, mm-hmm. and I, and I don't think, I don't think most people are going over because of appearances. I think they're going over because the work is there and it has to be done. But I also think that, in a world where we're seeing slowdowns, um, where there mm-hmm. isn't as many, there are not as many hours to go around. 
at a right. lot in a lot of practice groups. So increasing it by even 50 hours a year could be, very well be the difference between, you know, and, and it's, listen, I, I've worked at, at big law firms and it's terrible when you don't have enough work to go around. You have to sort of knock on folks' door, send emails that be like, hey, if anybody needs anything, just let me know. Or, you know, some firms, I guess, have assigning partners or whatever and having to go through that process. And and there's also the whole worry that as much as you may want the work right now, it may be that the two cases that you're on all of a sudden get hot. You know, there's motions that are due next month. So I can't really bill my hours this month, but next month I'm pretty sure I'm going to be slammed. And I, but I need hours because if I'm not averaging X number of hours a week, I'm just not going to get my bonus at the end. And so I think it just adds a layer of stress to the entire process that seems unfortunate. So Perkins Coie is not the only uh, big law firm that is is uh, trying to cut some costs or, or increase, uh, you know, the value proposition of keeping associates on. Last week, we also learned that Sherman and Sterling is laying off folks, a mix of both associates and staff. Certainly not the only firm, <laughs> not the only noteworthy, you know, kind of above the fold, big name firm that has instituted layoffs uh, this year. Uh, but it is it is the most recent. <laughs> do you think that we're at the start of layoffs or do you think this is about like the, the end? Like what can people expect moving forward? I, I know there's a ton of big law procrastinators, not procrastinators, <laughs> prognosticators <laughs> out there that are happy to give a quote to any number of legal publications uh, predicting worse things are coming, predicting um, more more layoffs, more cuts to bonuses and hour and increasing in hour requirements and all that kind of stuff that that really helps um, big law's bottom line. I think that overall, I don't think we're not going to understand the full reach of what's going to happen until we start getting the financial numbers for 2022 in. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, firms know where they stand, but they haven't all been reported out yet. We're only getting mm -hmm. kind of very initial reports. And some firms are, are doing fine, not the ones that are laying folks off, mind you. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, some the I think that the first ones that we'll start hearing about are the people who are doing fine and then the people who are, you know, okay, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, before we start hearing the details about the firms that maybe struggled a lot in 2022. But I don't think we have seen the end of layoffs. And, and again, remember, there are two primary kinds of layoffs that we've talked about, these sort of very clear, you know, firm management lets everyone know that these sorts of cuts are coming. They lay the folks off and it is what it is. Um, then we also have the self layoffs or the quiet layoffs where they're trying to just, you know, shed some headcount um, in order to sort of increase profitability of the firm, but not necessarily admitting that it's because of the financial performance of the firm or because of anticipated economic conditions and sort of leave associates to feel like it's, it's, on them that mm -hmm. they're they're dealing with this right now. But I don't think that Sherman is the end of layoffs at mm -hmm. all. Certainly not if we're including these sort of performance-based cuts that I, I do think are more common because, you know, there's, there's a certain level, I think, of performance that everyone's happy with until the market starts to, <laughs> until, until their, you know, productivity starts to, to take a tumble. And then and then they're less happy with work that they've never give, had a problem with previously, <laughs> which, you know, stinks. And, you know, some of the numbers that we are seeing from 2022 are, you know, for the first time since I think the 
at the Wells Fargo Big Law Report, the most recent one, um, said that since the history of the Wells Fargo Report, there has not been such low average hours, billable hours. I think we're under hmm. 1,600 is the average now is under 1,600. Oh, shit. Which is, which is a pretty, you know, it's, it's, you can see why uh, <laughs> big mm-hmm. law firms might be freaking out. Mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, they, lots of firms increased headcount in 2021. And mm-hmm. that did not correlate with the, you know, increased number of hours that the firm was billing out. It, it you know, it, it kind of decreased the overall productivity of their workforce as opposed to, you know, doing something else. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of right sizing going on, which, you know, still still means you wind up at the unemployment line. Um, <laughs> they, can, mm-hmm. they can try to rename it all they want, but it's it's still it's still not fun times um, if you're the one out there who has to deal with it. I just know I'll be pissed off. And I look at the the report finally gets out and like the firm's like, yeah, we had to lay people off. We only made four point six billion years in revenue this year. I'm like, what? You could have got me over that. <laughs> Shit. Sure. I, I mean, could have a pay cut. Only pay me two hundred seventy thousand this year. Don't <laughs> kick me out. <laughs> you know. Listen, um, one of the first layoffs that we reported was the richest law firm in the world, Kirkland. Right? <laughs> they, <laughs> they've they've laid folks off. They you know will absolutely come in with billions of dollars of revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be like, the, we couldn't afford it. I'm sorry, it's breaking our hearts. It hurts us more than. I you. mean, they what do the have thousands of <laughs> they do have thousands of employees. It's not you. Listen, there's mm-hmm. they they have they have a lot of attorneys, right, that they keep mm-hmm. on their payroll in order to get such big revenue numbers. Whereas, you know, it's different when you're talking about a firm like a Wachtell, for example, mm-hmm. which has, what, like 300-ish for, you mm-hmm. know, attorneys. <laughs> it's still 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 working in quite quite the hefty profit numbers. But, but you know, that, 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 that kind of firm is more eating out on its, you know, profits per equity partner numbers as opposed mm-hmm. to their overall revenue numbers, which mm-hmm. I think are, you know, makes makes that a, a very different yeah. proposition. And we're not hearing about layoffs from somewhere like like Wachtell. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I feel like once your firm reaches the level of when you mentioned around your other lawyer friends, they look at you like, ooh, like <laughs> that your company your company can no longer complain. They can't they can't put they can't pull the um they can't pull the we're so sorry. I just think that I just think that firms should be more comfortable being dirty capitalists. They should be like, we're laying you off because we want more cash. Good luck. <laughs> right. You know. Have fun with all that out there. Yeah. <laughs> but see that that makes it harder for them to then recruit the next generation of uh, <laughs> cogs in the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're tired of greasing your new cog. Come from Greece. <laughs> and then you get to have that very impressive name on your resume. Even if they do lay you off, it's still on your resume. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then and then you go to the smaller 300 people firm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that brings us to a close for today. Thank y'all so much for listening. Um, please subscribe to Thinking Like a Lawyer on your podcast listening service of choice. You can also follow us. Also keep up with, you know, what's going on in AboveTheLaw.com. You can also follow us at uh, ATL Blog on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Catherine One. Chris is on Twitter at Rights for Rent. Really? I think so. Am I right? No, no. <laughs> Catherine one, the numeral one. Numeral one. It is true. It is, it is the number one. It is Come Catherine on. with the number see, one at the end. See, shouts out to Joe. 
<laughs> well, it's also because I bug him about it because it annoys him. So. Got you, got you. <laughs> uh, you should also be checking out uh, the rest of the podcast from the Legal Talk Network. Uh, I also host the Jabot about diversity issues in the law. And uh, I think that might be everything we have to say right now. See you next week. Bye. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.